0: This is Understand South Carolina, a podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn has for years been one of the most influential Democrats in Washington. He's the House Majority Whip, the highest ranking black member of Congress, and the only member of South Carolina's delegation who's a Democrat. And right now he's in the midst of what's likely to be one of the most significant terms in Congress since he came to Washington in 1993. He has a wish list of bills he's hoping to pass, including one that could get rid of what's been called the Charleston loophole. And he's hoping President Joe Biden can help him get there. After all, many people point to Clyburn as the person who helped Biden get to the White House in the first place. Today, we'll be revisiting Clyburn's endorsement of Biden for president and taking a closer look at some of the legislative wins Clyburn is trying to secure and what could stand in his way.
1: My name is Thomas Navelli, and I am the politics and military reporter here at The Post and Courier.
0: I want to start by going back to February 26th, 2020. South Carolina's Democratic primary was three days away. In the Iowa caucuses, Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders had pretty much been neck and neck. And Biden came in fourth in the pack, behind Elizabeth Warren. And in New Hampshire, it wasn't better. Uh, Biden faltered again, falling fifth in line, and then Bernie Sanders pretty handily won the Nevada caucuses, and Biden came in second there. So by the time the Democratic candidates got to South Carolina, the state was seen as a kind of firewall for Joe Biden. Like he needed to win, and a lot of people said he needed to win handily to show some strength heading into Super Tuesday. So people were waiting to hear from Clyburn, who's been described as South Carolina Democrats' kingmaker, he endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016 and Barack Obama in 2008. And on February 26 last year, Clyburn called a press conference at Trident Technical College in North Charleston.
2: And I've been saying to the media, I've known for a long time what I'm going vote for, but I had not decided whether or not to share it with the public. But I want the public to know that I'm voting for Joe Biden. South Carolina should be voting
1: for Joe Biden.
0: So what happened after that endorsement?
1: We need to stress that this was an absolutely necessary state for Joe Biden to win. I mean, like you mentioned, he had not won a single primary. You know, he placed fourth, fifth and second in Iowa, New Hampshire and Nevada. And ultimately, it was this win in South Carolina which was locked down by Jim Clyburn's endorsement. I mean, take a look at South Carolina. You know, the majority of Democratic voters in the state are African-American. Jim Clyburn is a pivotal figure to that voting block. And to be able to get his endorsement really helped him secure that entire primary and that win and also just push the momentum forward. Instead of just being seen as a former vice president, he was seen as an actual front runner. So, you know, he was able to take that win from South Carolina, take a delegate lead on Super Tuesday, And 30 days later, he clinches the nomination. So I think at the time, everyone knew how pivotal it was that Clyburn was speaking out about this. But also, this stems from a very deep and long relationship that the two have had.
2: Jim, you and Miss Emily have been great friends, but also great leaders. Because it's never about you, it's always about someone else. It's always about you, your families, the community. They're intertwined. My dad used to say, the family is the beginning, the middle, and the end, and we're all part of it. You know, I know everyone in South Carolina understands what an extraordinary leader Jim Clyburn
1: is. They're like, okay, Joe Biden won South Carolina. Now what? And so we wait for the coming weeks. And then we see that Joe Biden continues to win and continue to make headlines, continues to resonate with voters. And then immediately, you know, I think after he secured the nomination, all eyes went back to Jim Clyburn and they said, you know, this wouldn't have been possible without this pivotal endorsement in North Charleston and absolutely cements his position as a Democratic kingmaker at this point.
0: Did Clyburn continue to have influence when it came to Joe Biden's campaign as that went into the general, you know, after he actually became the nominee and was facing then President Trump?
1: As it went forward, he weighed in on a whole variety of topics. He wanted to see a diverse set of people fill Joe Biden's cabinet. And I think nothing's more notable than what we found out in the wake of Joe Biden's inauguration, and that was that he had such an influential voice in the vice presidential pick. You know, he spoke to Biden in South Carolina and said, you absolutely should announce that you're going to have a vice president of color and and pushed for Kamala Harris and pushed for having a really diverse set of people fill the White House. So, yeah, he absolutely still had uh, influence on this administration.
2: George Bush said to me today. He said, you know, you the savior. Because if he had not nominated Joe Biden, we would not be having this transfer of power today.
1: There was this somewhat viral moment that happened at the inauguration where there was a picture of Jim Clyburn wearing his South Carolina State University hat standing next to George W. Bush and the two of them are taking an iPad selfie. But it wasn't until after the fact that we found out that George W. Bush had confided in Jim Clyburn that a Biden presidency wouldn't have happened without him. And he said, you know, you know, you're the savior because if you had not nominated Joe Biden, we would not be having this transfer of power today. And I think that right there, having a former president weigh in on from the outside, Clyburn's influence on this administration, I think it shows just how much that moment at Trident Technical College would resonate.
0: So you recently spoke with Representative Clyburn, and I'm wondering what did he have to say about this relationship that he has with President Biden and the influence that he himself had on the election and maybe how that could impact this term? I would think he probably has the president's ear, one, because they have a longstanding relationship, but also because Clyburn can kind of claim that connection in getting Biden into the White House.
1: Of course, uh, they are tied together. And uh, absolutely, that will resonate in Washington for the remainder of Biden's term. And I think when we talk about these legislative wins, we have to realize that Clyburn, as the House majority whip, has great influence in the House. He's also built a lot of long-standing personal relationships in the Senate, which is very helpful uh, for policy objectives he's trying to get across. But we have to take a, a moment and look back also at when Biden was campaigning for the White House. This was a guy who talked about his relationships in the Senate all the time. Biden constantly talked about how he, as a senator, could go and talk to anybody and people would pick up the phone. And he was kind of seen as this, or at least advertised as, this bipartisan deal maker in a way. So, you know, I think Clyburn's hoping that outside of just the influence he has in the White House, that he also can play to those strengths as well. For Jim Clyburn, he endorsed Biden not because he wants to see this benefit come back to him, which is certainly a side effect of it, but also because Jim Clyburn did not like Donald Trump. He was very vocal about the Trump presidency and what he believed a Trump presidency meant to America and American democracy. He always has gone on TV to say that endorsing Joe Biden was about saving the country, in his view. So he views, first, a Biden presidency as successful because he was able to unseat Donald Trump. And also, he's praising the president immediately for the coronavirus relief package that came out. I mean, it is the most progressive legislation that has ever been passed. And Jim Clyburn is an unapologetic Democrat. So the fact that there was aid for black farmers in that bill, the fact that there were stimulus checks, the fact that it bolstered a lot of rural communities, all of those things were major personal things that Clyburn wanted to see for South Carolina as well as America. And so he's already praising Biden for that.
2: So Joe Biden, to me, was about the country and it still is about the country. I do have some things I would love to see happen in South Carolina and the South. I'll have to wait to see whether or not uh, he uh, he responds to that agenda. Certainly hasn't been enough time for him to respond to it yet.
0: So what is Clyburn's day-to-day relationship with the White House like? We've talked about that relationship that they already have and... The, the, the influence that, that he can have during this term. But what does that day-to-day relationship look like? How often is he in communication with people in the White House?
1: I asked Jim Clyburn about that, and I said, how many times are you calling the White House or White House staff? And he said, every single day. And speaking with people that were connected to him, his staff, et cetera, uh, they said the same thing, that Jim Clyburn's political style is, if he wants something, he picks up the phone, he calls people. He's very direct. Jim Clyburn knows what he wants, and he wants to go out and get it as soon as he can. So he has a a working relationship with the administration. It's my understanding that he often uses the congressional liaisons with the White House pretty frequently.
0: So kind of going off of that, there was a report this week from Politico that said Clyburn's, quote, bold-in-your-face style was causing some tension with White House officials. I guess from what you've discussed with Clyburn and his staff and others what's your take on that
1: you know certainly talking with his staff and talking with some supporters you get a different view of that but Clyburn was quoted in the story as as being unapologetic about that I think which is noteworthy and there was a White House press statement in that Politico story that said you know they have Biden and Clyburn have a great relationship and they welcome Clyburn's input on things uh the story you know quoted some white house officials who said that they were kind of put off by Clyburn's public criticism of some of their cabinet choices and some of their administrative choices because he wanted to see more diversity in there and and Clyburn has always fought for that and i think that it still falls back to mutual respect. And I think that Biden and Clyburn still respect each other despite their political styles.
0: So what are some of the things that Clyburn wants right now? What are some of those legislative wins that he is going for?
1: So this is a moment for Jim Clyburn where he should be optimistic and rightfully so about some Bills that he wants to propose and has proposed crossing the finish line. We have a Democratic majority in the House. We have a Democratic majority in the Senate. He has a close friend and ally in the White House. So Clyburn's kind of looking back at bills that he's proposed before, things that he's passionate about, and seeing if this is a chance for him to let them cross the finish line. One of those being broadband internet access. You know, He, in particular, from being a school teacher in South Carolina, uh, knows how important education is, and particularly in the pandemic, where we live in a very virtual world, um, he wants to see more internet access in rural communities. So he pushed a bill which would provide affordable internet across rural America, would set up training for different uh, internet-based jobs, and he's finding allies in the Senate. this bill. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, has said that she would would back this bill. And so that's one that he's hoping he can see cross the finish line, for example. Another thing that he's super passionate about, voting rights, something that a lot of Democrats are talking about, expanding voting access, expanding voting rights to more Americans. That is something that he wants to see cross the finish line with this favorable political environment he's in. And then also, you know, he's very passionate about the Charleston loophole uh, bill to expand background checks on guns, and he thinks that he can make that cross the finish line, too.
0: Right. So when we're talking about these legislative goals that Representative Clyburn has for this term, we, of course, need to talk about the Charleston loophole. So first, can you just explain what the Charleston loophole is and why is doing away with it such a high priority? For Clyburn.
1: The genesis of the Charleston loophole uh, has to do with Dylan Roof, the white supremacist who was convicted of killing nine black parishioners at Emanuel AME Church in downtown Charleston in 2015. Um, this bill is personal for Jim Clyburn as a result of that. So, what this stems from was that in 2015, Dylan Roof went to go buy a gun legally, but the sale shouldn't have gone through. He should have been prohibited from buying the weapon because his background check would have indicated an arrest report indicating drug use, and it should have been flagged. But however, under current federal law, since the background check went unfinished after a three-day waiting period, Roof was able to obtain a 45 caliber Glock handgun, which he used in the attack. And this is, like I said, very personal for Jim Clyburn because he lost friends. He lost people he knew. So the Charleston loophole bill would expand that time frame for a federal background check from that three-day waiting period to a 10-day waiting period. And if it still doesn't flag anything after that 10-day period, if it's still the background check is still waiting in the queue, it can be expanded up to 30 days. So basically it provides a one-month buffer at most from a background check to acquiring a firearm. And for what it's worth, Clyburn has pointed out that a good majority of Americans support expanded background checks, support expanded gun reform. But Clyburn sees this again as something very personal. You know, this bill was introduced four other times. It passed the House last year, but it was stymied by a Senate controlled by Republicans. And just this month, the bill that would close the Charleston loophole passed the House again. So now that we see that there is a senate that is controlled by democrats that is cause for for optimism from from cliver and he's hoping that you know he can hopefully convince some people to to cross the aisle and vote for that
2: he should not have had the gun and the reason he had the gun is because when he went to purchase it in the three days expired as current law allows They had not been able to verify the information he had given them and therefore could not complete the background check. But under the law, they had to sell him the gun after the three days, only to find out several days later that some wrong information had been put into. The record. Now I ask, and I sincerely believe that this gentleman's sophistication, he knew he was not to have the gun. Did he give the wrong information intentionally? I think so. And when they found the error, it was too late. Nine souls had perished. This law would have prevented that gentleman from getting a gun.
0: So we're at this point where the bill has passed the House again, just like you said, and Clyburn is set up for this term with some potential legislative wins. Uh, He has this strong relationship with the White House, is there anything that could be standing in the way of getting this passed once and for all
1: so this has been the center of much attention in the media cycle over the last couple weeks and it all stems down to the filibuster so even though democrats control the house and they control the senate they cannot control the filibuster at the moment the filibuster is a parliamentary procedure where it allows politicians to debate a measure on the floor for an elongated period of time. Of course, there's specific rules. Perhaps you've seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington uh, and you understand that there's this big moment where people speak for hours and hours and hours on end. That is the filibuster. However, people can invoke the filibuster just by the threat of filibustering. And what that means is that three-fifths of the Senate, so that comes down to 60 out of 100 senators, have to vote to close debate on a bill. And so, You can just threaten to filibuster and that will be invoked. So really, it's not a simple majority that would pass Clyburn's bills. He has to win over 10 GOP senators for the Charleston loophole. And that's not an easy feat right now. Uh, The Senate is highly partisan in a post-Trump era. And what we're seeing is that he has to convince people to cross the aisle to support this. Take, for example the coronavirus relief package. This is a good example of, of how Clyburn maybe hopes to overcome this. Uh, the coronavirus relief package was supported by no Republicans in the House or the Senate, and Clyburn was the only member of South Carolina's delegation to vote for it. It was passed into law, however, because the parliamentarian ruled that it did not fall under the filibuster preview. This was something that was a simple majority that could pass. This because it was seen as a different type of legislation. So this is a good example of just what the attitude in Washington is right now. You know, with a with the trifecta of Democratic control, Republicans are going to hold on to whatever they can to be able to exert their influence. So that's the magic numbers those those ten senators, and that is something that you know Clyburn I think hopes to lean on Biden to potentially pressure reform of the filibuster. It's something he plans to turn to Biden for to help cross the aisle and use those pre-existing relationships he has in the Senate to get those votes. Really, all eyes are on how is Washington going to address the filibuster?
0: You just mentioned how Representative Clyburn was the only member of South Carolina's delegation to vote for that big coronavirus relief package. And he's the only Democrat who is part of South Carolina's congressional delegation. Do we know what South Carolina's other members of Congress think about this Charleston loophole bill?
1: That's a very good question. Immediately after Clyburn introduced the Charleston loophole bill, Representative Nancy Mace, freshman congresswoman from Charleston's uh, first congressional district, introduced her version of the Charleston loophole bill. And Where Republicans and Democrats see differently on this bill stems from the fact of what would have really stopped Dylan Roof from obtaining a firearm. Democrats argue, let's expand the time limit that it takes for a background check. Give the agencies more time to dig into people's uh, backgrounds. Republicans argue it's not about time because that takes away time from a gun owner who is invoking their constitutional rights to purchase a firearm. And what they argue the problem is is not having as much access to accurate police data. So Nancy Mace's bill would bolster the amount of data that could be accessible by the federal crime database that would potentially flag things even sooner. So there's two disagreeing points on this. And I think overall, most Republicans are going to fall in lockstep with just opposing this Democratic measure. Um, We've seen other members of uh, South Carolina's Uh, congressional delegation speak out on Twitter about this as well, saying that they believe it is um, restricting Second Amendment rights. And I think that this debate is actually going to only even heighten in the tragic wake of what happened in Boulder, Colorado, and what happened in Atlanta. I think we're going to see much more fiercely partisan debate as it comes to gun control measures.
0: So the interesting thing about the Senate right now, of course, is that It is split 50-50, and because the Democrats have the White House, that does mean they have control in the Senate, but the fact that The actual number of senators is split 50-50. Yes, Vice President Kamala Harris can break a tie, but that's really putting emphasis on that filibuster situation, of course. So did Representative Clyburn have anything to say about the filibuster specifically since that is the thing that is potentially standing in the way of being able to pass this legislation that, like you said, he's been spending years trying
1: to pass? Jim Clyburn is not a fan of the filibuster.
2: We have been here before. During the 1940s and 50s, the Senate filibuster was used to kill civil rights legislation and protect Jim Crow laws. Today, Senate Republican leaders are employing the same tactics.
1: He's called and told White House staff as recently as last week that he has concerns about the filibuster and how it might affect things like the bill regarding voting rights. You know, Biden has not really outright just said we need to abolish the filibuster, but is more of a fan of bringing it back to its more traditional roots of having to be a large display where you speak for hours and hours and hours on end. Clyburn also he knows the game. He understands what the rules are in in DC, and he is not counting out a possibility where maybe some of his bills could fall outside of filibuster preview where they uh would only take a simple majority to pass. Something similar to like the the COVID relief package, for example. You know, he believes that, you know, basically to not apply to the filibuster has to be something that is deeply rooted in the constitution. So his argument, voting rights, absolutely something that falls Within the rights of the Constitution, Jim Clyburn points to the Charleston loophole bill as something that could perhaps fall under the category of civil rights because of Dylan Roof's racist motivations for killing nine black parishioners at the Emanuel AME Church. He says that perhaps by labeling it as a civil rights issue, it's something that would fall outside a filibuster preview, something that would, you know, only take a simple majority to pass and could potentially have across the finish line.
2: Uh, when it comes to the Charleston loophole, if we had a workaround on civil rights and voting rights, I think the Charleston loophole is sufficiently tied to civil rights. The Young man made it very clear that he was trying to start a race war. So I think the case can be made for the Charleston loophole to have an application to civil rights.
0: For more politics news, you can subscribe to our Palmetto Politics newsletter. It comes out every weekday, and it's free, so I'll leave a link to sign up in today's show notes. And be sure to log on to postandcourier.com or pick up a print copy of the paper this Sunday to read more of Thomas Novelli's reporting on Representative Clyburn and all of the topics that we discussed today. Last week, this podcast, Understand SE, was featured in the Posting Courier's Beyond the Headlines virtual event series. Executive Editor Mitch Pugh spoke with co-host Gavin McIntyre and myself about how we make this show. Here's a brief clip from that event.
1: I think you raise a good point that these are different
0: conversations. It's a different way of looking at stories and topics that we are covering in sort of the more more traditional newspaper format. So, Gavin, can you talk a little bit about how you guys approach who you think this audience is for the podcast and how that might be a little bit different from the audience that reads the traditional print newspaper.
1: Yeah, so obviously, you know, understand, I see. So the point is for, it's a broad audience, obviously, because we're reaching out, you know, to South Carolina. Sometimes we have specific focuses depending on the story when it's more Charleston, or maybe it might bring a story from Greenville or Myrtle Beach or Columbia. Now that we've started to expand and really cover the whole state, Um, But I think it it allows people who might not want to necessarily pick up the print product or maybe they don't have time to sit down with the story if they can, you know, put on a podcast, you know, on a drive home or, you know, while they're doing some type of, you know, activity or something. I think it, it gives them a chance to still be in touch with like the daily news.
0: If you missed our special Beyond the Headlines event last week about this podcast, I've included a link in today's show notes to a full recording of that event. Check it out and let me know if you have any questions for us. If you do, we're at understandSC at postandcourier.com and we're on Twitter at understandSC. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of the Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandSC at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandSC. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.